So we've been talking this last few weeks about being poured out and what that looks like in our lives. You know, previously we talked about being filled with the Spirit. As followers of Christ, the Spirit wants to fill us daily, many times a day. Does that through His Word, does that through prayer, does that through being in His presence in worship. And so now we've been talking about how do we pour out? Because God just doesn't want us to become fat Christian babies, but God wants us to be poured out into our community. So we talked about how we do that through our gifts. We talked about how we do that through prayer and praise. And this morning I want to give you one more way before we move on in our series to victory. We're going to coincide with our kids' camps in our next few weeks of teaching so that you parents can talk to your kids about what they're learning. Um, and, but today we're going to do one more time, and I want to talk to you about what it means to be poured out in witness or poured out in living your life and letting Christ live through you in your world around you, okay? So to do that this morning, I'm very excited to share a video with you. Uh, we have a, a couple in our church named the Busanis, Lori and Carlo and their family. And in fact, a Busani was playing drums this morning. Uh, and so um, Lori came to me a while back, several months ago, and said, Hey, my brother Mark is struggling with cancer. Can the church start praying? And, and we began to pray for him. And Mark is a member of parliament in Canada. He's been in Canada parliament for years and years and years. And I don't know if you've followed this story at all, but as she made me aware of his life, he's a follower of Christ, and as she um, sent some videos my way that had been recorded in parliament, I said, Hey, I want to use this guy's story who I've never met, never met Mark. And I want to I use his story because it's such a great story of his witness in a place where you know isn't always easy to, to be a witness. You know, the, the parliament, you know, the House of Representatives here and, or Senate here. Um, politics can be a tough place to be a witness. But Mark has so given himself in a way to influence through kindness and through love and, and through sharing Christ with people that he made quite an impact uh, on his on his parliament. And so I wanted you to watch. We're going to have two parts this morning. The first part is Mark sharing uh, about retiring from parliament. Take a look. I wanted to share that with you this morning just because you can you can see the connection, right, with this guy and with these colleagues that he's had for a number of years now. And you're going to see in a few minutes as we show the, the rest of the story um, how much impact he's had. But, you know, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Wherever you go, you know, Judea, Samaria, other most parts of the world. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes because it's a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Like salvation doesn't just stop with us. Salvation is meant to perpetuate through us as we share Christ with those around us. So what does it mean to be a witness? It really means to simply let Jesus love through you. Really, that's what it means, to witness his love through you, to let him... Uh, to tell of his goodness and to tell of the difference that he's made in your life. That's really what it means to be a witness. And so anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. And it's a part of our confession, the confession of our life. So as we jump in this morning, I just want to ask the simple question, who do you witness to? Who are the people in your life that you could think about right now and you would say, yeah, those are the ones that know I'm a follower of Christ and they know the difference he's made in my life. And so I live my life intentionally to love them and to let Jesus love through me. For Mark, it was as a member of parliament. For you, it could be who you live with. It could be who you work with. It could be your customers. It could be the parents of your friend's kids. You know, I mean, it can be anybody, right? Some of you go south for the winter, and so for six months you get a whole new group of people to be a witness to, right? Your, your sphere of influence, that's what we like to call it. 
And so the idea is to approach your sphere of influence with the intention of letting Christ shine through you. Like this is something you think about. This is something you pray about, to be a witness for Jesus. Not bashing people with the Bible, not handing out four spiritual laws, although you could. That might be a part of who you are, and you could do that. But really to live in such a way that you pour out His love and grace every day um, to the people that you are with, to the people that know you. So every everywhere you go, you love like Jesus. So I wanted to give you seven ways this morning, seven ways to live like Jesus that I think, and there's more probably that I could have mentioned, but these are the seven that came to mind. And the first one is simply, number one, to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Where do you live? Who are your neighbors? Love your neighbor. And, of course, you can expand that to anybody, right, in the whole world. The world's a small place these days. But Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. So being intentional about your neighbors in your neighborhood, what does that look like for you? Be friendly. I happen to live in a neighborhood where everyone around me are believers. They're already believers. There's no one around me that I have to win to Christ, right? But so I can still be good and I can still be kind and I can still share love. You know, we live in this garage door world. Do you know what I mean by that? That we leave and we come home and we have this little garage door opener and closer. And so when we, when we come home, we just hit the button, pull in the garage, hit the button, and we don't have to talk to anybody. We don't even have to meet our neighbors. And I, I think the garage door opener has ruined our lives. We used to have to get out of the car and either park outside or slide the door open. And now we don't have to talk to anybody. And I'm saying be intentional about coming home, getting in the garage, leaving the door open, and if you see your neighbors outside milling around, just go over and spend a couple minutes talking with them. You know, be intentional about building relationship with your neighbors because you don't know when you might get the chance to share Christ with them. And that's number two. Number two is shine your light. Shine your light. Jesus asked in Mark 4, he said, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Let me just ask, when's the last time you lit a lamp and put it under your bed? Anybody? Monsters under the bed? I mean, what's the deal, right? No, we don't do that, especially oil lamps. We don't light them and put them under the bed. It'll be a warm night. So what does this mean, shine your light? simply means be open about your faith. Let people know that Jesus loves you and that you've received his love for you and that he makes a difference in your life. Let him come up in your conversations. You know, everybody around us are coming out about everything else. So why not come out about Jesus? Why not let Jesus come out of you? What, what, what is the deal that we have to keep our light covered? What are we ashamed of? What are we afraid of? If Jesus is the best thing going in your life and he was enough to get you out and bring you to church this morning, then he is worth sharing. Not only for your sake and his sake, but for the sake of somebody who might just need the light. And so we don't light our light and, and put it under cover, but we let Jesus shine through us. It's, it's a letting. It, like You don't have to do anything about it. You just let him and bring him up in conversation when you get the opportunity. Brings me to number three. Thirdly, you can do this by befriending pre-Christians. I like that term, pre-Christians. I, I look at everybody, anybody I ever meet, they could be a Christian someday if they're not. They could be a pre-Christian. And we don't know who they are, right? Only God knows. But they could be. So befriend a pre-Christian. Befriend the lost. Jesus was known. 
as the friend of sinners. And he took a load of, uh, um, he took a, a bunch of criticism for that. <laughs> Sorry, I almost slipped back into Linden language for a second. Um, he was known as the friend of sinners. And he was criticized for it all through his life. And guess who criticized him? The church people, right? It was the Christians. It was Well, not Christians. The, the religious people, the Jews, criticized Jesus for being a friend of sinners. Here's one of those stories. Mark 2. Levi, who was a tax collector, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Ooh, tax collectors. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. A lot of sinners followed Jesus. Why? Because they felt his love. They felt his acceptance. He didn't agree with everything they did, but he loved them and they knew it. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? I didn't know they had that in the Greek, but there it is. When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. I believe that Jesus wants us to be friends of sinners, to be those people that bridge the gap. We don't just hide out in church, but we bridge the gap between sinners and what they need, pre-Christians, and what they need from Jesus. We're the ones that are in the gap. Now, here's the trick. I'm going to give you a couple of of suggestions this morning about this, okay? The trick is, if you're going to love them like Jesus, be sure that you're the one influencing them, and they're not the ones influencing you. I really doubt that Jesus went to these parties thinking, okay, if I go to these parties, I can have, you know, four or five beers. No, I think Jesus was thinking, I'm going to go befriend sinners. Maybe I'll have a beer. I don't know if they... Did they have beer back then? They had wine, right? So do you get what I'm saying? Jesus didn't go to be influenced by the sinners. He didn't let that happen. He didn't enter into their sin. Jesus went to influence the sinners and to come alongside them. So befriending sinners is not your excuse to walk on the wild side, okay? I just want to make that clear. I can see where this could go with us, all right? Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians. He said, when I'm with those who are weak... I share their weakness, or I get to know what it is about them that that they struggle with. I share that with them. I don't enter into it, but I want to bring the weak to Christ. So I share them, share that with them. And yes, I try to find common ground with everyone. What what can I learn about people? What can I enter into that they struggle with? You know, that I can that I can be compassionate and understanding about and then help to lead them to Christ. And he said, I do everything to spread the good news. So clearly, Paul was doing this. He was becoming a friend of sinners for one reason only, and that was to bring them to Christ. And I believe that God wants us to do that too. So you have to know your own weaknesses if you're going to do this. You have to know, if I'm an alcoholic, I'm not going to go probably spend time at the bar you know, to, to, uh, you know, to meet people and to try to help them. That could be wrong. You know, if I struggle with pornography or sexual addiction, I'm probably not going to go, going to, go to the beach. I'm not going to do beach ministry, right? Because that could just not be healthy for me. Fill in the blanks, whatever it is for you. You've got to know your weaknesses, and you've got to be sure that you don't put yourself at risk in that way. Okay? Does that make sense? And then I believe that God wants us to have a seek and save mindset. Seek and save. 
Jesus sought out sinners. And then he, he invited himself into their lives. Really cool. In fact, he invited himself over for dinner at their home so he could enter their lives. Here's a story about that. When Jesus came by, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus up in a tree. Remember the story? Wee little man. There's Zacchaeus. And he called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I want to ask you, when's the last time you invited yourself over for dinner to someone's house so that you could share Christ with them? I know that's silly. We don't do that, right? Because we have garage doors. But I'm just saying, you know, you could invite someone to coffee. You could invite someone over for dinner or out for dinner and target, you know, the fact that they don't know Christ and begin to invest friendship into their life. Is that an agenda? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the best thing you could ever give somebody would be a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else is going to go away, you know, but... A relationship with Christ is going to go on forever. So be be a seeker and a saver like Jesus was. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Guess who? Yeah, the religious leaders. They were displeased and they grumbled and they said, He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. So Jesus had no problem being bold and befriending people, even though it brought criticism upon himself. And at the end of this story, what Jesus said was, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. That's because Zacchaeus ended up giving a lot of the money back, and even more than he took from those people that he'd stolen it from, because of Jesus' influence. Gave a bunch of stuff back, and then Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So this business of seeking and saving those who are lost, this can be risky for us because we have reputations to uphold, right? Jesus didn't care. Jesus didn't care about his reputation. In fact, one time, there's this woman who's sinned and has been having sex with somebody who was not her husband. And so the religious leaders caught her and brought her out into the street and picked up stones, and they're getting ready to stone her because that's what... You did under Jewish law. If somebody committed adultery, you stoned them. And so Jesus inserts himself into this situation, puts himself at risk. They could just as easily stone him as well. Puts himself at risk, and he asks this question to these people with the stones. He says, hey, who's without sin here? Anybody without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And little by little, they began to meander off. And pretty soon, Jesus was alone with this woman who had been caught in adultery. And I want you to know that Jesus stayed true to his values in that moment. Like he had protected her from death, but that doesn't mean that he agreed with her sin. Do you get that? He didn't agree with her adultery. In fact, Jesus had had created us to be loyal and true to our spouse. And so he didn't want her to sin this way. And yet he still protected her from death. He stepped in so that she would not lose her life. But then he called out the sin in her life. He loved her enough to speak the truth. He didn't condemn her, but he also didn't let her off the hook. Just really remarkable how he did this. And after all the stoners had meandered away, he said to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. 
Go and sin no more. You see, he didn't leave her in her condition. He met her in her condition. But then he offered her words of truth and words of life. Go and sin no more. Don't let this be what defines you in life. And he did that out of love and he did that out of care. And I believe that he wants us to do that as well. So then the fourth way that that Jesus gave us to be a witness is to meet needs, to do good things for people, right? But do it not just to get glory or, or not just because it makes you feel good, but do it with the motivation of people eventually connecting the dots and saying, oh, there's a Savior who loves me and I see this Savior alive in the way that you treat me and what you do for me. Let your compassion become action. Jesus did this all the time. Here's one of the times, Mark chapter 8. About this time, Jesus was out there teaching. There were thousands of people. Comes to the end of the day, they're all hungry. And there's nowhere to go and and there's not enough bread in the villages. Even if they'd had money, they couldn't have found enough bread for these people. And the crowd had gathered and the people ran out of food. And Jesus called his disciples and he told them, and listen to this, this is the Son of God in a moment that reveals his compassion. And he said to his disciples, I feel sorry for these people. Or for you Canadians in the house today, I feel sorry. Right? I just want to translate for you. (laughs) They've been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll faint along the way. For some of them have come a great distance. And I want you to get this. Jesus very intentionally exercised his compassion often in people's lives, whether it was healing or delivering from demons or turning water into wine. I mean, imagine that, the Son of God. I often wonder, was it Merlot? Was it Cab? What was it? Pinot? I don't know. I bet it was good because Jesus doesn't do anything halfway, right? So a big part of letting the Holy Spirit pour through you is finding something that you're passionate about and then giving yourself to become the solution to this problem or coming alongside a ministry that's already established and being a part of a solution for somebody in our community or around the world. And that's exactly what Mark Warwa did, this man who we saw the video of. And I want to share with you now that, you know, Mark died just a few weeks ago. And what he was planning to do with his life was to become a chaplain and to really um, take, the, take the attack for hospice. I mean, to really be an advocate for hospice, an advocate for palliative care. Because when he was in the hospital for 15 days, uh, he felt like the care was not up to standards. So he was going to spend the rest of his life being a proponent for palliative care and for hospice in his community in the greater Vancouver area. And I just want you to see the response of some of his colleagues as we think about the impact we have on our sphere of influence and how God wants us to live in a way that touches the hearts of people and makes a difference in their lives. So I'm just, I'm just going to share just a few with you this morning. There were many more testimonies, and you can just tell the impact that Mark had upon the parliament and members of the parliament. And I share that with you just to, to, to paint a picture of really how life should be, I think, for all of us in our sphere of influence, wherever you're at, you know, that we would so impact people just with love, just with kindness. And Mark himself said, I'm, I'm, I'm normal, I'm average. But just that we could shine the light of Jesus into these places where we 
are around people every day in, in a very normal way. So Mark had impact because he was always planting seeds, always. Kindness, love, care, always looking for ways to plant the seeds of the gospel. And, and Jesus said in Mark 4, the farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. And we have God's word in our hearts. And as we take his written word into our hearts, we have something good to give. And, and, and all I'm saying is that, is that we should become more intentional with sharing the richness of his word, not bashing people with the Bible, not throwing scriptures at them and, and trying to you know, get people in line, but, but loving them through the scripture and through the truth of God's word and, and through the gospel. It really means letting the living word of God live through you. And like Jesus, not compromising, but yet clearly loving the people that he befriended. Takes us to number six. And we saw um, the representative from Abbotsford do this in Parliament, and that is to simply talk about Jesus. Can you imagine the name of Jesus being spoken in our government in this way? I mean, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. I don't know. But I'm telling you, pretty remarkable uh, that the name of Jesus was spoken so freely and in such an honoring way. You know, we, we all like the idea of witnessing with our actions. I think that's pretty easy for all of us. We like to serve. We like to give. It's, it's very easy, you know, for us to do that. But the idea of opening our mouth for some reason is scary. Well, why is that? Why is it so hard to talk about Jesus? You know, Gwen and I were at this wedding last night down at Black Diamond, and um, I can tell you I got my phone out several times and showed total strangers pictures of my grandchild. You know, I had no problem pulling out my phone and, and, and showing to someone I had just met this beautiful, amazing, you know, most beautiful grandbaby in the whole world. <laughs> Pictures, right? And no problem talking about her, no problem. Why? Because we love her so much and we're so proud of her. Well, then why not Jesus? Why not Jesus? And I say that totally non-manipulative, but if Jesus really means what we say he means to us and he really has impacted our lives the way that we say he has and he really has prepared a place for us in eternity, then why is it we don't open our mouths and and speak his name? It's just something to think about. It's something to pray about. Dwayne Lifton, who was the president of Wheaton College, said this. He said, It's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. What am I saying? I'm saying that at some point we need to open our mouths. And amidst all the serving and giving and good deeds and all the things that we do, amidst all of that, the point comes where we have to open our mouths and talk about Jesus. Because they can't receive who they have not heard about. And so at some point when God brings you to that place with somebody that you've been loving and and caring for and pouring into, you open your mouth. Jesus did that. He did that about himself. Remember the story? He's at the well with the Samaritan woman. And by the way, he shouldn't have been there with her. He went against every cultural moray to do that, woman and Samaritan. But there he is. He's talking to this woman, again, about her sin, right? And so they get to the place in the conversation where this woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus, for the first time, opens his mouth and shares with somebody who he really is. And he says, I am. I'm the Messiah. Highly unlikely that he would have chosen a woman and a Samaritan 
to reveal himself to for the very first time. You'd think it would have been in the temple, right? But here he is, this friend of sinners, befriending this woman at the well and letting her know that he was the Messiah. And Jesus wants us to do that with him. He did that with himself, and he wants us to do that with him. At some point in the conversation, there there comes an opening where we now share who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's loving. Sharing is caring. If you don't remember anything else about this message, remember that line. Sharing is caring. And be aware of the moment when it comes so that you can share and care deeply about somebody's eternal life, about where they're going to go. Do we not believe this anymore? Where are they going to go if they do not receive Christ? And so we need to care enough to share about what Jesus has done in our lives and bring people across the line into eternity so that they can know where they're going to go, like we know where we're going to go. That's simply called love, letting Jesus love through us. In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. And that's not a scare tactic that Jesus is saying, I'm going to scare you into sharing. No, but confession is a function of salvation. And so if you're saved, you're a confessor. That's how you get saved, right? And so then you begin this life of confessing your faith to those that Jesus brings into your life to do so. Brings us to number seven. One of the easiest ways to be a witness is simply to invite people to church. You know, if if you love your church enough to be a part of it and to be here and to be in small group and to help serve, then I hope that you love your church enough to invite someone to come. One of the easiest ways, hey, I'll come pick you up. I'm going to go to the 11. I'll pick you up. I'll take you home. Or, hey, just, just inviting someone to church. Or, hey, let's go to church and let's have lunch. Come on over for lunch. When's the last time you've invited someone over for lunch after church? Like 50 years ago, we used to do this. And now for some reason we've stopped. And it's because there's lots of stuff to do, right? And again, I say this with no shame, no guilt. I'm just saying what a great way to witness, to just offer friendship to people. Come to church. In Acts 2, it gives a great picture of the church. And I think that we're like this picture in some ways. I think in others we've, we've kind of lost um, the passion of community. But this is the way it was in the first church. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for communion or the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, they praised God. They enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. And look at the result. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Why? Why were they being saved? Because they saw what the church had to offer. They saw what the church was doing for one another. They saw this love and, and compassion poured out, this caring within these relationships that they had. And people on the outside wanted to be on the inside. They wanted to be a part of this. And so we invite people to come to church, to experience worship, to experience um, God's word being preached, to hopefully enter into caring relationships through serving or through small groups, ultimately to receive Christ, right? The church is meant to be our family. That's why Jesus birthed it. Did you know that Jesus birthed the church? You know, a lot like a woman gives birth, you know, has this time of labor and, and this child comes forth in blood and water and, and birth happens and there's a new being in the world 
a new little baby because of birth, right? And in a sense, that's how Jesus birthed the church. We were birthed through blood and water, through His, his um, crucifixion on the cross. And the spear was shoved into His side. And the Bible says, out of Him flowed blood and water. And then, of course, the water of baptism. And the church is, is born. We're birthed. And we're birthed as a family. We are God's expression of Himself on this planet. And so we want to become people and we want to become a church that, that invites people into the fellowship and into the community that we can experience. Again, it's not like it was in Acts chapter 2, but still it's good. You know, this last week, Joe Shepard was up in the hospital with a heart problem. And before I ever got the word, several of his small group had already been up there. That's the way it should be, right? People caring for people. There's no way I or even my staff can take care of all the people that come to North County. And so we, we build community. We have friendships. And, and those people reach out to one another and provide the care and fellowship and community that we all desperately want and desperately need. As we celebrate communion this morning, this is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating not only salvation, but we're celebrating this beautiful new person that Jesus birthed called the church. And what we really are is we're his fiance. Did you know that? We're his girlfriend. Some people say the church is Jesus' ugly girlfriend. But someday she's going to be beautiful. Right? When, when we get perfected by Jesus. But right now, we're messy. We don't look good at times. We do things that are not kind. We're, we're the ugly girlfriend sometimes. But we're going to be the beautiful bride of Christ. And so that's our destiny And so we want to invite people into that mess, into that sometimes unkindness, into that community because we know the Holy Spirit can do His work there. And that's what we want. So we're going to celebrate that this morning with communion. I want to invite the worship team to come on back. And if you've been here before or if you haven't been here before, um, what we do is we worship the Lord together. And as we worship, come and get your cup, the blood of Christ, and, and the bread that represents His body. Take it back to your seat. But before you do, I want to pray. And if there's anybody here who's never received Christ and you'd like to do that this morning, forgiveness for your sin, cleansing of all the wrong that you've ever done, and I tell you, it's good to to be guilt-free, and the promise of eternal life with Jesus. If that's you this morning, feel free to pray with me and receive Christ. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, today, again, we've come into contact with who you are and how you change lives and how you love through us even to the Parliament of Canada. And we're grateful for that (laughs) that expression of your love through this man, Mark. Thank you for using him well, but Lord, I know you want to use us all well. You want us all to love that way. So help us to love well in that sphere of influence that we are in, our work, our family, our play our recreation. God, whatever it is, help us just to let you love through us. And now if you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ, just pray with me today. And It's very simple. Just believe on Him, who He is, Son of God, and what He's done for you. Lord Jesus, I receive forgiveness of my sin by Your shed blood. I receive a cleansing of my life. I receive the fact that You took upon Yourself my punishment, that I was due for my sin. And you took it with you as you died on the cross. And and now, Lord, I thank you that 
that you have promised to prepare a place for me in eternity so that when I die, I do not have to fear because I know I'm going to step right out of this life into your presence. And we just thank you for that today, Jesus. So I give my heart, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's close with worship. Get your communion elements, and I will lead you in uh, as we partake.